Good morning. Um, we're going to start out, first of all, I'll give you an, a chance to leave because I will be talking about the ending of this film. So if you don't like spoilers, you won't hurt my feelings if you run to the door now. Um, and then I'm going to pray before we watch the trailer because we need it. such a dark film, isn't it? So let me pray and then we're going to watch the trailer and then I'll start talking some more and then we'll watch some more clips. So let's pray. Dear Lord God, we... Um, we offer to you this time. We thank you for some of the amazing things that we can do in our culture, the amazing ways we can tell stories for even the uh, modern marvel of film uh, as it is and the way it affects us. And so we ask even youth, even this dark film and this dark story to draw us closer to you even as we hear the good news that you have for us through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we ask this. Amen. Okay, here we go. This is the, oh, of course, it went to sleep. But this is the trailer, so if you haven't seen it yet, this will help you. Okay. All right. I don't know why it's purple. That seems to, might be a bothersome thing. Yeah, there is supposed to be sound. I'm sorry. This is inevitable. It ran perfectly, and there's not supposed to be BC News at the bottom, I don't think. Uh, hold on. Now I need the lights back. Hang on just one sec. Let me get the lights. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, they are turned off. I don't see the light. But usually the speakers, what's funny about the speakers is you can, you turn them on by turning up the volume. Oh dear. Wouldn't that just be the thing? It is inevitable. Oh, got unplugged. <laughs> do you know, my, um, my uncle's an electrician and he would do, the, he had this hotline once that he was the, answering person at the end of the hotline and whenever he would get a call about a device not working he would say okay now ma'am I would like you I'm gonna have you do a very technical thing I would like you to go go find the outlet where the device is plugged in now take that unplug the device turn it 180 degrees and plug it back in because usually it was unplugged and they were just like why isn't it working okay here we go I don't know why the screen Oh, you're so big. Look at your boobs. Last time I saw you, you looked like a little boy. I'm sorry about the color. I don't think we can stop to do that. Yeah. I'm just pressing. It's kind of messed up. Soon you'll be gone. Never to return. Don't start with that. Father, you broke his heart when you moved away. That is wildly unfair. You were Beverly's favorite. You know that. I prefer to think my parents love their children equally. I'm sure you prefer to think that Santa Claus brought presents too. I missed Uncle Beth's funeral. That doesn't mean anything compared to what you have in your heart. Well, where are you living now? Beg your pardon? You and Barbara separated, right? Or are you divorced already? Is there a younger woman involved? Have you said enough on this topic? Yes. Well, the odds are against you there, babe. That's pleasant. 
change. Well, as you can see, um, yeah, I'm not sure why the, we're just going to give it a little rest before the next one. Um, so how many of you have seen the film? Just to raise your hands if you've seen it. Okay, and if you haven't seen it, you can tell pretty much, like all trailers, they put all the good bits in the trailer, don't they? Um, essentially what this is, is it's a dark comedy. It's meant to be a dark comedy about family. Um, and the author is Tracy Letts. He's the son of Billy Letts. And the ironic thing is that she wrote these two novels about 15 years ago that were made into films that are pretty well known. You've Got Mail and Where the Heart Is. And those two films are very light and happy. They're sort of bubbly and help you feel really good about the goodness of humanity and you walk away from it feeling like, wow, people really help each other, don't they? It's ironic that this one is totally different. His plays and his work, his writing is dark and heavy. Um, he has asked moral and spiritual questions in his writing. Um, and he's even said, um, he's been quoted to say about this, this play and this film in particular, I think pessimism is helpful. So why is pessimism helpful, and why is this movie even uh, something that can help draw us closer to God, even when we see so much darkness in it? So he um, won the Pulitzer. He, well, first of all, I love this because I'm an actor, and I think it's so cool. He's been in the Steppenwolf Acting Theater for 11 years. He's a very good, well-known actor within acting circles. He's very accomplished. He started to write as well, write his own work. And in 2008, he won the Pulitzer Prize for the, for the play that this film is based off of. So in some ways, when we're looking at the Oscars, which are coming up in a few weeks, he has already won his award. He's won the best award in his mind that he could possibly ever win. Who cares about an Academy Award if you have a Pulitzer Prize? So um, I, I, this one was not even nominated for Best Picture. And one of the reasons why is because the director is kind of a, he's not as much, he hasn't done as much feature length film work. And you can see it just technically, I'm gonna get all, geeked out right now on the technical stuff. It is not as good a film as the other, as the 10 films that are nominated for Best Picture, um, just because of the direction, because of the way the director was directing the actors. You might say, well, how is that possible? Well, the actors, it's, it's an all-star cast, isn't it, with Meryl Streep. Um, but one of the things, I, I can see how the play won the Pulitzer, even while I can see why the film will not win Best Picture. So all that to say, don't go see it. If after you've heard this class and you think, I don't know if I can handle that, it's not one of those masterpieces. It is a great work of writing, and he's a really good writer. So why is he such a good writer, and why is this such a good film in terms of the writing? Well, again, the pessimism. He says, right, you know, someone once said about writing, 
write what you know. Have you heard that? Well, Tracy Letts, the author of August Osage County, um, admits specifically about this play, it's personal material. And it's so personal, it's about, I mean, the whole setup is exactly replicating his family situation. And you have to wonder, how can you get away with that and still have a good relationship with your family? Well, it's about not his parents, but his grandparents. So it tells the story almost literally. It's almost an autobiographical play because his grandfather committed suicide when he was 10 years old. And his grandmother, he says about his grandmother that um, Violet, who's Meryl Streep's character in this film, seems kind compared to his own grandmother. So he omitted a lot of the meanness that he remembers experiencing from her and seeing her inflict on his mother and her sisters while he was a young child. So it's sobering. So what happens in this play? Well, or film. See, I'm back on the play because the play is really incredible. Outstanding work. Um, the, the, the film opens, and again, Osage County is in Oklahoma. And it opens, one of the things that the film has that the play doesn't have are those wide open expanses. John Wells, who's the director, is able to film those wide open expanses of um, prairie. And he says about that, someone has said once about that, that it can feel very restricting. All of that horizon around you, and yet you live in a town of 12,000 people, you're going to feel trapped no matter what your family situation is. And then if your family is like this, it's a recipe for um, some real angst and a real, um, how could you possibly stay in that situation? Well, that's one of the questions that's going to be asked through the course of this film about the three daughters. So there are three generations in the film. It opens with the grandfather, whose name is Bev. He's played by Sam Shepard, and he's only in the film briefly. And he, the opening scene is him in this potential housekeeper that he's hiring. And he opens with a quote while John Wells is panning across the prairies. And you see the beauty of the prairies and the horizon in Oklahoma. And you hear, life is long. And Sam Shepard is saying, T.S. Eliot, you know, everyone knows it, but T.S. Eliot is famous for saying it. So now you have to say that he said it when you say it. And what we find out, we see in that first scene, you see him hiring this housekeeper, and you see the entrance of Violet, Bev's wife, Sam Shepard's wife, who's Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep appears, and she is, you can tell she's a cancer victim. She has no hair. Her hair is very close cropped. Um, she um, doesn't wear very much makeup in this scene. In fact, she probably wears the reverse kind of makeup to make her look even more haggard, even more tired. She is obviously on something. And um, Sam Shepard sits there with a double something in his hand, double whiskey, double scotch, something like that. She walks in, and if you remember in that opening scene, there's so much cussing. She just cusses him out um, really in a mean way, in a degrading way. And it's meant to be funny, but it's so hard. I saw it alone, and I, you know, it's so much easier to laugh when you have other people around you, and they're sort of laughing, and then you can laugh. You, you're given permission to laugh. I was just like, I was actually convicted to never ever cuss again because watching the women in this film cuss is astonishing you think wow that is so it's so harsh it's so angry it's so mean she is so mean to him and she just lays right into him 
And then he tells the housekeeper, the potential new housekeeper, um, he, he, she asks what kind of pills she's on, and he goes through this long list, laundry list, of the kinds of pills that his wife takes. And they're not all medications for her illness, of course. They're also, you know, Dilaudid and all of these other things that she is clearly addicted to. And that's another theme that's going to come out in the film. And so um, she asks, the housekeeper asks, well, what kind of cancer is it? Sam Shepard sa says, the irony is that it's mouth cancer. This grandmother figure has mouth cancer, and her mouth is metaphorically foul as well. Um, so he keeps going on. He says, um, marriage is hard under the best of circumstances. And you see that even in that opening scene with them, that there is love and care and concern on some level. And yet his life has been hard. And her life has been hard, you think. You, you must assume. So the next scene, we find out that this grandfather figure has disappeared. And the daughters are starting to converge. They're returning back home to help their mother. So what we're going to see right now, we're going to see a scene with the middle daughter. There are three daughters. The oldest daughter is Julia Roberts' character, Barb. Oh, yes, the color's back. Let's cross our fingers and say a prayer. Um, so, well, I know, because you can try and try, and then the technology is never what you expect. But this is the middle daughter, Ivy, that we're going to see. She's not a really famous actress, but she's very good. So there's Barb is the oldest, the middle daughter's Ivy, the youngest daughter's Karen, who's played by Juliette Lewis. What'd you do to your hair? I had it straightened. Why would anybody do that? Just wanted to change. You're a pretty girl. Why don't you wear makeup? Do I need makeup? Every woman needs makeup. Don't let anybody tell you different. The only woman pretty enough to go without makeup was Elizabeth Taylor. And she wore a ton. She's <laughs> real slumped and your hair's all straight and don't wear makeup. You look like a lesbian. Could get a decent man if you would just spruce up a bit. That's all I'm saying. My tongue is on fire. You supposed to be smoking? Is anybody supposed to smoke? You see again the one you know that good line. Is anybody supposed to smoke? Oh, we're gonna hear her again. Nope. Um, so you see that that sets the tone. You see this relationship with Ivy. There's so much mother-daughter judgment in this play. Do you hear it in the way um, the competition? This is often the case between mothers and daughters. Unfortunately, if the mother is the example of what it means to be a woman in a household, daughters learn from their mothers how to be a woman and what being a woman is like. And very often, if the mother's insecure about her own um, femininity, her own excellence as a woman or whatever, she can take it out on her daughters in very subtle and manipulative ways. And this is exactly what we see. You know, I know I know about makeup. I know about looking good. I know about getting and keeping a man. And what's so interesting about this is that it's a huge lie that the mother is telling her daughters and that the mother is telling herself. Because what has just happened, the reason why Ivy is there is because Beth, the, grand, the father figure, has disappeared and we find out in the next scene where he went. Well, we find out in a couple of scenes after that. Um, he, we find out that he, well, first of all, the family comes down. So Barb, Ivy, how does Ivy deal with her mother? Do you see a little bit? She's kind of the quiet daughter, and she deflects and hides, whereas the other two daughters, the youngest daughter, you don't even see her. 
until halfway through the film. She has been running away her entire life. She was out the door as soon as she could. The oldest daughter, Julia Roberts' character, stayed for a little while and then it just got too much and she left for Denver, she and her husband and daughter. And so there's a lot of accusation on the other daughters for having left. But that's how they deal with this judgment and with the manipulation and with the dysfunction of their family. Um, so Ivy deflects and hides. Barb fights fire with fire. And that's the theme. That's the real conflict in the film is seeing how Barb ends up being the protagonist while her mother, Violet, is the antagonist. And the fight um, is interesting, I think, so long as it's under wraps. Because very often, I don't know about your family, sometimes it gets to the escalation that it gets to in this film where there are plates smashing and there's actually a knockdown, drag out, cat fight, Julia Roberts against Meryl Streep. It's kind of breathtaking. Um, a lot of families don't necessarily devolve to that, but some do. But what we do really know about is the latent conflict that comes out. And what we see throughout this film is that the conflict of years, this sort of um, back and forth that's gone on for years, the hurt feelings all end up coming out in this one family gathering. So when Barb and her family come down, it turns out that, um, that in fact, Bev is not just missing, he has committed suicide. And so they find that out and it is, um, it's very hard for all of them. Um, the suicide is made known and Barb, Julia Roberts' character, says to her own daughter, I don't care what you do with your life, just survive, please. I don't care what you do, just survive. And you hear that, she's trying to be different from her mother there because her mother has had so many expectations about what she wants for her daughters. And the biggest thing she wants for her daughters is for them to have a man and keep a man, for them to have a happy marriage. And um, you see that played out in the film that um, there is in fact no happy marriage in the film, no truly blissful um, marriage without conflict. So um, any questions about that before we get to there? Again, there is the funeral. And in the aftermath of the funeral, there's a dinner scene that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But anything you notice so far about the plot line or that you remember from the early parts of the film, if you saw it yourself? Okay. Well, I remember hoping that surely it's going to get better somewhere. <laughs> How's it going to get better? I know, I know. And it doesn't, does it? It just keeps getting, it just devolves. Is there redemption anywhere? <laughs> Is there? And that's the question. There isn't. No, there isn't explicit redemption. Right. We're going to talk about what, well, what does it do? Um, so let's get, let's get worse before we get better. It gets really bad. The dinner scene, again, the, the beauty of this is that every family, you know, every family is dysfunctional, just period. We're just going to put it out there. Um, and every family has its own idiosyncrasies. I'm, I'm thankful that I've been lucky enough that mine is not this dysfunctional. <laughs> But there are moments in this film that seem exactly like my family. Um, at the dinner table, there's one, we're going to see a scene right now, where the um, granddaughter, who's played by Abigail Breslin, is a vegetarian. Um, and the whole family, they just, um, they, just, they just don't know what to do with that. So, so I'm curious. When you say you don't eat meat, you mean you don't eat meat of any kind? Right. Is that for health reasons? Well, when you eat meat, you ingest an animal's spirit. 
And just what? It's firm. Fear. <laughs> oh, she's. I mean, what happens to you when you feel afraid? Doesn't your body produce all sorts of chemical reactions? Um, does it? Yes. It does. Yes. So when you eat meat, you're ingesting all of that fear that the animal felt when it was slaughtered to make food. Uh, you mean I've been eating fear, what, three times a day for 60 years? <laughs> 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 This one won't have a meal. It doesn't have meat in it. Well, I guess it was just the way I was raised. But somehow it doesn't seem like a legitimate meal unless there's some meat somewhere. <laughs> oh. What, what is it? <clears throat> what is it? Oh. You know, what's the matter, okay, Uncle Charlie? Oh, oh. I got a big bite of fear. So you can see that um, that there is a lot of that teasing. Every family, I think, has that, and especially it's so interesting. There, there's another moment at the beginning of this dinner where that character, Chris Cooper's character, who's the uncle, he um, he's now the patriarch, and he's asked to pray, and it is like the longest prayer in America. In knowing he doesn't he clearly doesn't know what to say, and people walk in and out of the room. I mean, it takes forever, and they're all kind of looking up to see is he done yet? Are we done praying? Um, it, it, I, that is definitely an experience that I've had in my family. I, there was a patriarch in my family who would pray the longest and most creative dinner prayers I have ever heard in my life. So it was um, something fun about that. But what you see in this dinner scene, the dinner scene escalates. There is the fun, the sarcasm. There is some sense in which they're glad to be there um, because Barb or Violet has all of her girls there, finally. All of her children are there in one spot. But yet she ends up, the way she relates to them becomes so apparent. Um, she, div she really devolves into what Chris Cooper's character calls meanness because he sees it in his own wife, who's Vi's sister. And he asks, where does this meanness come from? Where does this way of relating to each other come from? There's this conversation where the mother, um, where Violet, talks to her daughters and she says, you know, your father wanted to give you some money and he left it in the will, but we had had this conversation where he was going to give it to me. So we're just, I'm just going to have the money, okay? You know, it's, it's in the, we never got around to changing it in the will, right? Okay. And the girls are flabbergasted, and they have no other choice because their mother is this dominating matriarch, and they just say, okay. And she offers them instead some of the older furniture, not the good furniture that she might still want to use, but you could have the older one, and I'll sell you the silver for less than I'll get from the auction house if you want. You see the greed of the mother coming out. And she says, all right, they're right on. This is what's going to happen. And they're so flabbergasted, and you see their barb fighting fire with fire. And Julia Roberts says, well, we'll get it when you die. And you see that meanness coming out of her, too. She's using the truth as a weapon. The mother is in denial, and she's using the truth as a weapon. And then the mother, touche, fights fire with fire and says to Barbara's, um, Barbara's husband, Bill, who's Ewan McGregor, says, where are you living right now? Because they've kept from Violet that they're separated now. And she has caught on. She knows that they're apart, and she uses that. She starts pressing on that bruise 
as only our family can press on our bruises. There's a great slogan from the 12-step um, programs that says, um, our families know how to push our buttons, they installed them. <laughs> So that is so true. Um, so here's another example of uh, Violet's meanness at this funeral dinner. Who are you? Well, this is my fiance, Steve. You met him at the church? Steve Huberbrecht. Hi, what? Huberbrecht. German. German, Irish, really. I, 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 well, that is peculiar, Karen, to bring a date to your father's funeral. I know the poetry was good, but I really wouldn't have considered it date material. He's not a date, he's my fiance, and we're getting married on New Year's in Miami, and I would love it if you could make it. Well, I don't really see that happening, do you? Steve? Is that right? Steve? Oh, yes, ma'am. You ever been married before? Yes, ma'am, I have. More than once? Three times. Actually, three times before this. Should pretty well have it done by now, then. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had that one. Hey, didn't I? I mean, you look at him. You look so Right? She had him pegged. She knew. She knew exactly what was going on. Um, but she's mean about it, isn't she? And we find it funny. And the catharsis is good. Laughing is good for us because it helps us get out our own embarrassment over what's going on. Um, one of the things that the author of this play and the screenplay says, she, he says about Violet, about Meryl Streep, he says, she's your mother, too. The greed, the addiction, the judgment, the emotional manipulation, um, and this huge ton of self-righteousness that is all throughout the entire play. And I would say that is the defining character, uh, the defining aspect of Violet that makes her so hard to put up with, that has chased away each one of her daughters in turn. She um, is self-righteous when she talks about her childhood. At that same dinner table, she says she isn't attacking anyone. She talks about some horrible things from her childhood. And she has this sense that her children are ungrateful, that they haven't made anything for themselves. They haven't made a life for themselves. And they've had everything handed to them on a silver platter. She says to her three girls a little bit later on in the dinner, who are you? You have no troubles to speak of. Uh, she's she totally belittles them. She totally belittles any of their sadness, any of their sorrow, any of their issues that they have in trying to deal with her. Um, and she talks about, later on in the movie, she talks about her own mother's meanness. And she tells this horrible story about something her mother did, which is certainly one degree beyond what she's done to her children. But she says to her daughters, after she tells this story, I'm not, I'm not like that, am I? And uh, the youngest daughter, Karen, lies and says, and you can see right through the lie, no one believes it, you're not nasty and mean, you're our mother and we love you. On one level it's true, but on another level it's not true, because not one of them can stay in the same house. 
Ivy, who's been there for so long helping with them, she has plans to get out. And really the story is about Barbara's plans to get out. How is Barbara going to get out? These three sisters, Tracy Letts wrote, an, um, he adapted a famous Chekhov play about three sisters. And it's interesting to see how he describes that play versus this play. That play, he said, is about three sisters who are trying to relive their past. They're nostalgic about the past and they want to bring it back into the present and into the future. Well, this play is not about that. It's rather about three sisters trying to forget the past, trying to leave it behind, and trying to reclaim their future, even while they struggle with their responsibility to their mother. And this is something that we all might struggle with. We probably all will struggle with at some point, is what is my responsibility to my parents? How am I called to help take care of them, especially in their older age? And what we see with Violet is that, um, and there is this commandment in scripture, it's one of the 10 commandments in Exodus 20, honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you in the land. And we know that kind of instinctively, don't we? That's one of those commandments that we know we're called to obey. Um, but yet there's also, St. Paul says, um, even while he's talking about that honoring of our parents, he says, Fathers, and I think he means mothers too, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, lest they become discouraged, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And what does that mean except that parents um, show forth what God's father love is like to their children? They set the stage for them to understand what God's grace is like to us. Um, and, and Violet hasn't really done that. She's not able to forgive anyone. She refuses to forgive her husband for an indiscretion in his past. She refuses to forgive her children for leaving her. She has no sense in which there is any culpability on her part. And so for these three daughters, in order to start over, all three, and this is the great sadness, the great tragedy of the play, is that all three daughters choose to cut all ties with their family of origin. And in some way, we have to have compassion on them because they just cannot do it. Ivy that we saw in that scene from the beginning, she says to her sisters, who she feels no connection with, I just can't keep this myth of family, a random collection of cells. Barbara, too, I think of this as a modern Scrooge story, a modern Christmas carol, because Barbara here, in seeing her mother up close and returning home, to revisit her home and see her parents and see now her mother in this state. She sees what her future will be like as she continues in this calcified anger and the meanness. You see her slap her own child, um, blame her own child for something that um, is not necessarily, it's a little gray, but um, once she, as soon as Barbara hits her child, she realizes what she's done and the husband and the child just run back to Colorado the next morning. We're out of here. We're done. We're leaving you, essentially. Um, and she also then has this next scene with her mother, and it's the catfish scene. Half, most of the scenes of this, of this movie, I can't actually show you because they're so explicit, um, just in terms of the language. Well, in this scene, it culminates with all the plate throwing and with all of this swearing and with this horrible truth that's, again, used like a weapon. And Ivy says to her older sister and to her mother, she says, you are monsters. You're both monsters. There's no difference between you. Essentially, 
daughter has become like mother. Barbara, like many of us, must grapple with who she's becoming, almost as though she has recognized that she has become her own mother. So what do they do? What, what, what hope is there then for this family? What hope is there for them? And what is the difference between Barbara and Violet? Well, Barbara, she, she leaves, and her act of leaving is some effort, some, some cry for help to try to do things differently. It's somewhat ambiguous in the film. We don't know how it goes for her, um, but she gets out, she leaves. And in that, even though she's not there to care for her mother, um, there is still this housekeeper, which is this last sign of love from Bev's hus- from Bev, the husband who died at the very beginning of the film. The housekeeper is there alone with Meryl Streep at that last moment when she realizes that every one of her children has left her, her husband has voluntarily left her. And we have to ask, well, what is going on there? What is going on in her heart? Well, we all, like Barb, like Violet, have this um, decay within us. There is a meanness, as Chris Cooper says about the women in this family, there is a meanness within each one of us. Isaiah 64 says, we all have become like one who is unclean. We all fade like a leaf in our iniquities, like the wind take us away. But yet, um, our righteousness, even as Andrew said this morning, is not based on what we do, but on what God has done for us. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, but our righteousness does not come from achieving the law, from our rightness and our niceness, because there is that meanness on some, in some measure however small, within each one of us. Our righteousness does not come from the law, but through faith in Christ. And there is um, this characteristic of self-righteousness in Violet. We see it in her unwillingness to see and even admit that she's mean. Um, And you see it come forth. You see it, um, you see it. And so there is this sense in which what St. Paul says is true about her. And I see this as being the difference between Violet and Barbara. St. Paul says, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Barbara, in some ways, in seeing herself reflected in her mother, is afraid. She doesn't want to become like that. Um, Her leaving is a cry for help, a cry for transformation, a cry to get out and be different. Um, And so in that, she is receiving essentially the judgment of her husband and her child that she's becoming like that the judgment of her sister that she's a monster. She receives it and she doesn't want to be like that. So she leaves. So that I would even see as an act of repentance. Whereas with, and we don't know what will happen with Vi. It might be that that total aloneness with simply this paid helper would help, would cause her to judge herself before she meets her maker and her judge. St. Paul says, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For every one of us, there is that judgment coming uh, where we meet our maker. And yet, as we say, I'm not righteous on my own. Would you, Lord Jesus Christ, be my righteousness as I stand before the throne? So what we see is that this movie has some benefit for us. It has some benefit because it helps us see some things that might be true about our families, 
it helps us laugh about them. There's, um, Paula Smalley was going to do this class originally with me and she was not able to be here today. But one of the things that Paula said that was so great was she was like, well, you know, it's so good. They're at least finally getting it all out. <laughs> and if you think about an infection, like a physical infection in a body, um, when it's really gross when it comes to the surface, isn't it? When you finally get the infection out of a wound or out of something like that, it's not pleasant. It's pretty gross. And yet, it's so good to get it out. And that's really what happens over the course of this film. All of that simmering infection that's been in there for so many years, decades, generations, gets out in this film. And it's ugly. It is so ugly. And yet, in it getting out, um, it's true that that's the beginning stage for health. There's another 12-step um, slogan that says, our secrets keep us sick. Well, this is that um, opening up of the doors, showing what human nature really can be like. And that is, the vo in volleyball terms, that is the set to get the ball up in the air for then the spike of the gospel. Which, um, we, how can we know that we need a savior? Or how can we receive a savior until we first know that we need one? And so I would say that's what Barbara, Barbara needs a savior. And she now at least knows it. And Vi, we don't know if Vi will decide if she needs a saver or not. So let's pray. You can stay and ask me a question. I've run right up against the time as usual. Um, let's pray. Oh, dear Lord God, even in seeing such the dark depths of human nature and of what human beings can do to each other, um, we ask, Lord, even as we see that and know that reality exists in the world, it exists at times even in our own families, it exists in our own hearts. Lord, even so, um, you, the light of the world, have come into the world, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so now shine the light of your truth and your love for us through Jesus' death on the cross into our dark hearts. Give us that hope of transformation that can come only from you, only from outside of us. Give us that freedom and forgiveness that we crave for your glory's sake and our eternal benefit. In Jesus' name, amen.